Greetings, everyone. This is Pastor Mike. Thanks for joining me today. And I'm here at home in one of the upstairs rooms of my house with my Bible open to the book of Hebrews, chapter 9, where it says in verse 14, How much more, then, will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered himself unblemished to God, cleanse our consciences from acts that lead to death? so that we may serve the living God. I love how this verse has an exclamation mark at the end of it, so that you may serve the living God. God is calling us to live a transformed life with a clear understanding of who we are in Christ and of our mission to serve as ambassadors of the King and of His kingdom. He doesn't want sin to sidetrack us or blindside us, So he calls us to a lifestyle of repentance through faith in Christ and the sufficiency of his blood. Now, the blood of Jesus is effectual in three ways. Toward God, which we looked at in the last episode, toward our consciences, and toward Satan. Today, let's look at the second working of the blood, and that is toward our consciences. Now, it says there in verse 14 of Hebrews chapter 9, How much more, then, will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered himself unblemished to God, cleanse our consciences from acts that lead to death, so that we we may serve the living God? Just one chapter later, in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 22, he says this, Let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. These verses speak to the times when our own consciences condemn us before God, when our guilt seems bigger to us than our understanding of the blood of Jesus. Often this happens when we try to sense God's forgiveness with our emotions and our feelings. When I try to subjectively base my understanding of God's forgiveness on how I feel, rather than what God has told me in His Word, I'll find that my guilty conscience prevents me from approaching God's throne because I think He's going to condemn me for my sin. Or I wait until I feel like I've been good for a while before approaching Him under the misconception that my performance somehow grants me access to God. Both of these are wrong and will put us on a roller coaster of never really knowing for sure if God loves me or will hear my prayers or accept me in his presence. I know in my own life, starting out as a new believer, I was on this roller coaster. I would struggle with thinking after I would sin and fall short in some area of my life that repentance meant that there was a probationary period where I had to prove that I was really serious before God would forgive me and not reject me. After a while, I might feel pretty good about how I was doing, and I would feel like I could get closer to God until I blew it again, and that cycle would start all over again. It was all based on my feelings and my own performance. It wasn't until I really understood the working of the blood of Jesus that I got off that roller coaster and really experienced freedom in Christ. One crucial understanding in that journey was discovering the difference between conviction and condemnation. In John 16, the Bible says that one of the roles of the Holy Spirit in our lives 
is to bring conviction of sin. This conviction is designed to bring us to God where we can confess and repent of our sin. Sin destroys, so God convicts us so that we might be set free from sin, which is like a cancer that will prevent us from experiencing all that God has created us for and prevent us from bearing fruit for God's kingdom. Now, this is different than condemnation, which drives us out from God's presence. When our conscience or the devil condemn us, we can identify it because our response is not to draw near to God for forgiveness, restoration, and healing, but it is to run from God with the mindset that God doesn't want me to come, that he will or has already rejected me and condemns me. But Romans 8.1 is clear that there is now, therefore, no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. A great example of the difference between conviction and condemnation is found in looking at the lives of Peter versus Judas. If, as you remember, Peter, after Jesus was arrested, betrayed Jesus three times, denied him to people who asked, aren't you one of his disciples? He said, no, I know I don't know him. And it says that three times he denied Jesus. And when the cock crowed, as Jesus had predicted, Peter wept bitterly. He was convicted of his sin. Now you remember after the resurrection, Jesus appeared to Peter specifically and asked him, Peter, do you love me? And he asked him that same question three times, the same amount of times that Peter had denied him. And finally, Peter just said, Lord, you know all. You know that I love you. And finally, Jesus said, then follow me. Restored Peter, commissioned him into ministry again. Now, think of that in contrast to Judas. As you remember, Judas went to the Pharisees, went to the religious leaders there in Jerusalem and said, what will you give me? if I turn Jesus over to you. And they gave him 30 pieces of silver. Jesus was arrested. And then it's interesting that in Matthew 27, it says that um, when Judas, who had betrayed him, saw that Jesus was condemned, he was seized with remorse and returned the 30 silver coins to the chief priests and the elders. I have sinned, he said, for I have betrayed innocent blood. And then finally, it says that Judas took that money because they wouldn't take it back. And he just threw it down in the temple and he left. And it says he went away and he hung himself. Now, both Peter and Judas felt great remorse for their sin. But the difference between their responses is striking. Peter ran toward Jesus when he had that opportunity where he was forgiven, restored, and recommissioned into ministry. Judas, on the other hand, ran from the temple, and the condemnation that he was experiencing caused him to take his own life. God says to us in Hebrews chapter 10, verses 19 through 22, Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, open for us through the curtain, that is, his body, and since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. If God is satisfied with the blood, then I must accept God's valuation of it. 
it must satisfy me also. When I accept the fact that God has removed every barrier between him and me, and I can believe that as a fact from his word, this causes me to draw near to God where my conscience is cleansed and my guilt removed. Whether I'm having a great day or a bad day, a good week or a bad week, my only basis for coming before God is the blood of Christ. When the Spirit convicts me to repentance, I plead the blood. When my conscience condemns me, I put my trust in the blood. When Satan accuses me, I take my stand on the blood. Are you getting the picture? The blood does it all. I love how it says in 1 John chapter 3, verses 19 and 20, This is how we know that we belong to the truth and how we set our hearts at rest in his presence. If our hearts condemn us, we know that God is greater than our hearts. I love that. So today, let's approach God boldly with full assurance of faith because he has declared his blood to be the means by which we approach the throne of God. And we come with great humility and profound gratefulness because this is the work that God has done and I cannot and should not try to add a thing to it. We have found grace, G-R-A-C-E, God's riches at Christ's expense. Amen.